luck next time. Game over. Hey everybody, Adam here, and just had a couple words to say before we get into the podcast. This was a really exciting one because we had Kyle Patrick, the editor-in-chief of GT Planet, on the podcast for the very first time as our first guest uh, to talk about Forza Horizon 4, and we could not have imagined a better first guest for Time Extend. Unfortunately, though, that came with the issue of audio quality. To get Kyle, Brendan, and I on the same Skype call, we ended up not being able to record our own feeds, which is how we usually produce Time Extend, so we end up going with the Skype audio feed, which is very grainy, uh, and it kind of sounds like a bad phone call. However, we're so confident in the in the quality of the content of this show, and the discussion we have is so much fun, and Kyle was an amazing guest, that there's no way that we're not going to post this. So we ask you to bear with us and uh, listen to the show, and... Uh, try to get past all of the audio issues, and we're pretty confident this won't happen again because we've looked into it and we've tried to figure out some different ways of recording uh, so that we could all be heard crystal clear, even though we are thousands of miles away from each other. With that said, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Time Extends. My name is Adam Ismail as always. I'm joined by Brendan Morrison and today we have a very special guest. Uh, this is going to be a treat because we've been trying to get him on the show for a while and uh, I'm really excited personally. So, who is joining us today? It's uh, Kyle. Kyle Patrick, the editor from GT Planet. Yes, uh, Kyle. You just got back from a big trip from Goodwood, is that correct? That it is. Yeah, and uh, Brendan, I, I mean, I'm just in my room. I think I think you're just in yours, so we <laughs> we didn't have <laughs> any... nothing too exciting from us. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but... <laughs> Kyle showed us lots of good stories to share about Goodwood, where we've been chilling in our rooms. Uh, me wishing I was playing Forza Horizon 4 and you getting to play it, you lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, both of us have played it, so you really gotta... Really gotta catch up <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, later on. Um, I guess we'll just uh, we'll just jump into the news, just jump right into it, because it's been a, a couple of weeks since our last show, but there have been a lot of things that have gone on in the interim. Uh, it seems like everything's either been announced or had the trailer come out or released or something. I don't know. It's It's been crazy. <laughs> but the main thing has been, of course, uh, Dirt Rally 2.0 Gang announced, which uh, I didn't actually really see coming until every single person on my Twitter feed tweeted 2.0 all at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was one of these things where it could have been Dirt Rally, a sequel to that, which it was, or a remaster of Colin McCree Rally 2.0. 
Um, as a, a total advocate for the first game, hearing that it was a sequel to Dirt Rally just made me pretty much the happiest person this week. That and the fact that all the initial D Euro beat is now on Spotify. So it's been a good week <laughs> for me with those two. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be happier with this news and I feel like Codemasters recently between Onrush and uh, Dirt Force kind of needed a big win. And I've not seen any negative reception so far to this. It's all good news um, so far. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, and it did seem, by the way, it did seem that everybody who tweeted 2.0 did so at the exact same time, right? Because it all came, like, one after the other. Like, do you think that the co-master agree to, like, that they tell, like, Petter Solberg, like, okay, here's exactly when you should do it? <laughs> yeah, it seemed like it was orchestrated, for sure. Um, that's one of the things that Codemasters has been doing a lot recently, is kind of hyping up their games before announcement or before release. I mean, I think they dragged it on a bit too much with Onrush, especially with how that ended up panning out in terms of a success. But, um, yeah, it looked as if this is something they had planned for quite some time. And, Kyle, I believe on GT Planet, you guys actually broke the news that it looked as if we were going to get an announcement soon, thanks to a website that randomly popped up. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it is. Um, we uh, we spotted. I mean, actually, it wasn't. It was the community, like like most of our uh, breaking news. It was a very helpful community member who spotted the the pizza website. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we we finally did get an article up about it, and then yeah, and then after that they started mentioning like, oh, we have an announcement coming up, and then yeah, the the good news dropped itself because I'm I'm with you guys. I'm really excited about playing the sequel to Dirt Rally. Yeah, the the pizza thing was another thing that I um I saw on GT Planet and I just I I can't remember obviously like what the headline was or how the story began, but it's just like seeing that many different words pop up <laughs> in a sentence like Dirt Rally leaked through fake pizza website yeah. referencing other thing. I'm just like I I can't make heads or tails of this. <laughs> So, yeah, it, it uh, wasn't the easiest headline to write, yeah, exactly. uh, and, and, and really, we had to avoid any sort of pizza gate. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, you're right. <sighs> Jesus. Well, time extend is supposed to be an escape from all of those things, so we'll just we'll just hammer hammer through. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, eventually it was announced, and uh, we heard some, you know, concrete, basic details about the game. Yeah. Uh, it's coming out February 26th, uh, Xbox, PS4, and PC. Unfortunately, we won't get that Switch port uh, rally game that we've been waiting for ever since V-Rally 4 was announced, Brendan. Uh, still not released. Yep, still not released. Uh, <laughs> once again, uh, it's going to focus on Rally and Rallycross. Uh, we have real stages from the U.S., Argentina, Australia, Poland, Spain, and New Zealand. Yes. They're going to be eight official uh, FIA Rallycross venues, which is an improvement. <laughs> I wrote down as improvement from three in the first dirt rally because I, I always thought it was weird that there was like, oh, we have Rallycross, and they literally have three state, uh, three venues. Um, and then just. I, I think this is a, uh, the last big point I'll mention. Uh, they have Codemasters has confirmed that there will be two seasons of post-launch su uh, support, which is something that people have been asking for, I think, from all of their games for the past five years. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, that, that is a shock to me. <laughs> um, but a good shock, because one of the things that you might be able to construe as a negative is, like, in terms of the scope of this game, it seems very similar to the first game outside of um, the Rallycross upgrades, because 
Um, six locations. Some people might say that's not enough, but Argentina's in there, and that's all you need based on WRC7. So, um, I mean, that's going to be a stunning locale, just briefly to touch on it. Getting Argentina in this game is pretty impressive because it's just a wonderful track to go rallying on, and I'm so glad to see it here. And um, I think they've said for the season pass, it's like three locations per pack. So, I mean, that that bumps the, the total to 12, and it's a shame none of the ones from the first game are returning, but... Uh, there was a few ones in the first game, like Germany, you could have done without, really. I understand mm. that people like kind of fast rally stages, but your Argentinas and like your Monte Carlos and stuff, those are the ones you really want in here, and the news is positive so far. I'm excited by what I'm seeing. Uh, it's interesting to see that they're doing this thing that seems to be pretty common in the industry now, where if you pre-order like a deluxe edition, you get early access. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, that's an obvious route to go down, especially with the success of titles like Forza Horizon 4 and that type of thing, so you can't really blame Codemasters for going down that route. Yeah, and uh, going off the what you said about Argentina, my friend actually know this because he watches WRC religiously, and I only wish I could, but I don't have the time. Um, but he noticed that, uh, at, I think at the end of the announcement trailer, uh, the stage El Condor appeared, um, which I'm sure people noticed on the on the GT Planet forums as well. And, I mean, I can't pick out individual rally stages quite like that because they all kind of look the same to me. But that, it's pretty cool that... Um, they're focusing again on the real stages. I mean, I, you know, I, I still want them to return to your stage. I know that it didn't work out particularly well for Dirt 4. I mean, it was, you know, it had, it had its highs and lows. Um, I want to see where that technology goes, because if they get it right, they can um, obviously significantly improve uh, the quality of their randomly generated output. And, you know, that'll result in a lot more different kinds of varied rallies and stages and, and have you know, what have you, but I'm not entirely sure it's uh, it's ready yet to to come back for uh, for a Dirt 5 or something like that, and and for that reason I don't really mind the return to real stages. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think I think the best possible solution would be to have both. Um, mm. the, the, the Your stage is a, a great tool for mixing things up, and especially when they were doing those timed runs where, like, the weekly challenges or, or what have you, where, you know, you only have a set amount of runs, and this way, you don't have to worry about the guy who's played it every day for eight hours being better than you. You, you, you get, Yeah, you, you, get the, you get the feeling of, like, an actual rally where all of you are sort of starting on the same level. Uh, but on the other hand, for, like, realism, we know that you can't really sell... A modern racing game without some semblance of realism and, and rally people I think especially really care about that authenticity so having the real tracks is also a very important thing that I think is what detracted from Dirt 4's impact so ideally it'd be great to have both but I know that that's <laughs> that's always the uh, the ask is can we just have everything yeah <laughs> yeah I think um, I think you're buying on with that Kyle because the way I see it now, and I could be wrong with this, is like Dirt Rally is the kind of honed, focused rally title from Codemasters, and then the regular Dirt series is where they like to be a bit experimental. So I actually think that your stage will return in some capacity, perhaps with real stages, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just think for the sake of what Dirt Rally is offering, with like such a, a limited track set and that type of thing, it's important to get the right stages in there, so your stage opens the door to kind of subpar design, and Although it was a great tool in Dirt 4, 
Um, it's weird, I like to think the stages in rally games are almost like the, the Nathan Drakes or the Ellie's for racing games, <laughs> because a, a rally game's as good as its stages at the end of the day, and that's something that I really felt about WRC7. Um, Kyloton did a great job of recreating all the stages on the tour, and that's what kept me coming back and playing it, whereas with Dirt 4, I would say, perhaps objectively, they had better physics in there. But it was just like, it felt a bit boring when you were driving on these tracks and you kind of worked out the algorithm in your head of what was coming next and it kind of detracted from the experience. So for Dirt Rally 2.0, I like the fact that they're kind of um, just replicating what they did in the first game, but hopefully better. And then with the regular Dirt series, that's where we've seen a lot of the more outlandish stuff like Jim Canna and all of that type of stuff, uploading your clips to YouTube because that was a big deal in the PS3 era for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and all that type of thing so yeah I think that your stage definitely still has a future but I'm not sure it's in the Dirt Rally kind of sub-franchise sure uh, yeah I mean I, I have to say honestly I was surprised that Codemasters decided that Dirt Rally was to be its own thing and the core Dirt franchise was to be its own thing I mean I, I guess you know the the group of people who uh, you know played Colin McRae all those years ago and then, and then moved on to Dirt uh always were a little, you know, reasonably so, disappointed that the series moved away from Rally. But, I don't know, at the same time, it, it just always struck me as a little strange, because um, I don't see why one game can't be all things to all people, can't have the kind of, uh, you know, involved, very realistic physics model that Dirt Rally had while offering a couple different side, you know, different forms of uh, disciplines of off-road racing, especially because Dirt 4 didn't have that many, like, a, a super varied amount of, of different kinds of uh, off-road racing in there. It was, right, it was your rallying, it was your rally cross, and then... I'm actually struggling to think of the other categories. There was, like, buggies, right? There was, like, kind of, like, stadium racing. And then that yeah. was pretty much it, right? Unless I'm forgetting something. Yeah. Sorry, Eddie, okay. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's missing, like, the uh, like those giant brick trucks that do Dakar, yeah. for example. Right, yeah. So, I don't know. It seemed to me like it wouldn't be that difficult to get all of those things into a game. But, obviously... You know, it's not just like developing a game isn't as easy as us humble uh, podcasters maybe would like like to believe it is. <laughs> so I understand. Uh, the other thing that's confused me about um, kind of the, the trajectory of the Dirt series in recent years is, yeah, I mean, you do see that Codemasters doesn't like to reuse content. And I'm sure every time that they're capturing, you know, information and data from these stages, they're doing it in a way that's, you know, way more involved than before. So they, they maybe feel like they have to throw out their old data or something like that. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the old stages enough to the point where I don't, you know, I think to see them to see them return, you know, to see my Carlo return or to see um, uh, the Swedish rally return or something like that uh, would be fine enough for me. Um, so I do kind of wish they could reuse some of that content. Yeah, you bring up a good point as well, because one of the arguments I've seen is that this could effectively have pushed Dirt Rally back into the spotlight as a games as a service almost, because six new locations um, and then promise of six more doesn't seem that outlandish that you couldn't put that in the original. So. I'm thinking that there must be some good changes behind the scenes in terms of the physics and stuff to justify this because, um, 
Yeah, I, I think none of the stages coming back is a bit of a disappointment for sure. Um, especially when that's what made the first game so revered, being able to drive in the Greek tracks and all that. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame and maybe one or two might come back for a season past DLC, which I know isn't something some people might want to hear. Yeah, um, well, you know, we'll just have to see, and, and thankfully the game is not that far away. I mean, it's weird, because when I heard February, I was like, oh my god, that's like forever, and then, you know, looked at my calendar, as as you do, realized it was basically October 1st, and it's like, it's not that far away, so. I, I, it's funny, because, uh, you know, I, uh, I work over at Tom's Guide, and we do these um, kind of weekly streams, and I'm really like the only racing game guy there at the site uh because we don't we, ha we don't have a ton of uh people who cover gaming but i am the noted racing game aficionado so um the guy who runs the stream his name is george and every other week it seems like for the last couple of months i've been coming to him like all right we should play this game right we should play that game and he's like what like you, you keep basically like taking my attention from other games just to, like, bring these racing games here to the stream. And I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, F1 was really good. Forza Horizon's really good. Before that, Onrush came out. Like, there's a lot of good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he'll be very happy to hear that he's going to have to stream uh, Dirt Rally 2.0 in February next year. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I'm really excited that it comes out in February because it is a nice little spot that it's carved out there, uh, you know, early in the year. Um, but it is really funny to think that, you know, a year ago, when when the big three sim racing games launched, we were like, oh man, this is such a great year. Uh, I don't know if 2018 is really going to, to, you know, keep up. And it, it has. And it looks like 2019 is going to be a good year too. It's like we 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 sort of changed gears a little bit, and have F1 2018 and then Forza Horizon 4. Uh, but like. Both of those are incredibly good games. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I didn't want to devote a ton of time to it because, they're, you know, these regular updates come out uh, every month for GT Sport. But GT Sport, as we know, uh, had an update come out last week that included uh, Fuji Speedway as well as, a, uh, you know, the standard gamut of new cars. Yeah. Um, I was really excited about the, the two new 911 GT3s. I mean, not so much the... Um, uh, I can't ever remember. Not the nine nine nine. Well, I don't know. I, I'm I'm getting lost. But the, not not so much the uh, late 2000s generation, but the uh, early 2000s one that appeared in uh, Gran Turismo 3 as a you know as a secret car basically. Uh, seeing seeing new Porsches in Pizza Sport was really cool. But I mean that that's an example of just like you know how to do uh, salon support right. I mean it helps that all of that game's extra content has been free. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I, I keep I keep making this comparison um, with GT Sports content because yeah I agree it, it's been absolutely fantastic that all of it has come for free uh, I think back to 2013 and Forza Motorsport 5 and that got a critical lashing and I think justifiably so um, for bringing out DLC every month as Forzas tend to do uh, but it was predominantly cars that we had already seen on the last generation from Forza 4 uh, and it was paid content and you know this was a game that was massively smaller than its previous game like GT Sport uh, <laughs> and and to do that it was just kind of like it, it frustrated a lot of fans and like I understand it I didn't even join the console generation until Forza 6 was coming out um, and so I think 
you know, Polyphony quite wisely was like, well, that's not something we want to <laughs> we want to do. <laughs> so let's let's do these free content updates instead. And I think you know part of it is because the game was so small on release, um, and you, you kind of had to. But it's a game transformed now, uh, a year later, and it's the, the scope is so much more of what we're used to from a Gran Turismo game. And yeah, the the GT, the 996 GT3 is like a a really fun nod for big fans of the like old time old school fans of the franchise just to be like oh that's that's there they they see the significance yeah absolutely and uh, it, yeah it just amazes me like i i can't remember what the initial uh uh time frame was but but didn't Polyphony basically say it's like oh yeah you can expect this kind of content output to continue until march and now it's been what, how many months after that, five, six months after that, we're still getting updates every single month. So, yeah, it's just amazing to me they've been able to continue this for so long. That said, look, guys, Polyphony, if you want to charge for a DLC, I won't, I, I won't mind. I can, you know, I, I can give you some scratch if you need it. Like, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, because we've, we've had updates every month except, I think, June? No, because yeah. we had Le Mans there, so maybe it was May. We, we've had one month where there wasn't new cars or a track. Um, and yeah, like it's, I, I'm in the same boat. Like if, if you're going to, if you want charged DLC, I'm, I'm not opposed to spending money on it. Although it, you would have to change the, uh, for me anyway, the, the balance of old to like returning to the franchise cars versus yep. genuinely new cars needs to change a bit. Uh, like this one, for example, is just the, uh, I mean, technically, it's only one new car since the 996 was available before, but, but really, it's two new vehicles um, with the Porsches. So I, I would gladly pay for more DLC, but I would hope for more genuine new stuff at that point. Not that I'm disappointed with these returning cars, because, I mean, that's what Gran Turismo has always been to me. It's a huge encyclopedia of cars. So seeing these old things come back, like this new... This month, there's the classic NSX. Like, let me have at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the problem is it uh, always is with these types of things in gaming is that uh, people get very accustomed to the treatment that you give them. And in Polyphony's case, it's, you know, it's nice because they've been giving us all this free content. But unfortunately, it does mean that, you know, if one day they decide that they want to charge for something, it's going to have to be significantly bigger, more involved, or have different content than the type yeah. of stuff they put out before. Otherwise, gamers will get angry, and well, we know what happens when gamers get angry. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's hard, to, it's hard to narrow down what happens when gamers get angry, because they do it all the time. <laughs> I think on the, the subject of paid DLC in the Gran Turismo franchise as well, it, it's a bit interesting, because when it comes to the free stuff, like Polyphony, Knock Out of the Park, but then you have like Gran Turismo 5 where they wanted us to pay for like, race modded versions of cars already in the game. And then whatever was supposed to be with Gran Turismo 6's monetization, it's pretty weird that like when it comes to the paid element of DLC, it seems like they're not quite sure what they should do. But free stuff is ridiculously better than even some of the paid options available in things like Gravel and uh, V-Rally 4, which is offering like free cars in its season pass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't don't forget about that time in GT5 where I think they charged for paint chips, right? 
single single use paint chips. Oh, so you, you paid a, a few dollars and then you got a paint chip that you could only use once. Oh no, don't do that. Yeah, GT5 yeah. was the dark days, but um, well, that's that's something that I was thinking is both of you were just talking about Gran Turismo is that. Uh, next time we all get together and have this show, we, we do need to have our um, pitchfork uh, argument about what is the best Gran Turismo. And I think both of you voted for GT3 and I voted for GT4, so I'm sure this will be um, a very even and fair battle. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need yeah. a bigger round table, I think, for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, get the whole team involved. Wow. I, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'll avoid going into that, because I know that that'll just run our time, won't it? <laughs> but at the end of it, we'll be like, weren't we supposed to talk about Forza Horizon? Yeah, but uh, I, I will say, the, the one thing that I'm looking at with this GT Sport content, like, as we're quickly approaching the year anniversary, um, which means I need to write an article on that, <laughs> uh, is, can you imagine if this launched in 2016, like originally planned? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah, like, I I think this DLC is sort of a response to the initial criticisms at the launch last year of, of the narrow focus and sort of little amount of content. And I say little, meaning comparatively to GT6. Like, compared to just about any racing game not named Forza, GT Sport is a perfectly sizable... Uh, entry in the genre but yeah I, I do wonder what the plan would have been if it would have hit the original launch goal of fall 2016 well we can uh, we can always dream and, and wonder what if and I don't know I personally <laughs> spend a lot of time doing that and no I don't I, I don't know I don't know what I'm saying right now uh, <laughs> anyway it's early it's early it's it's 748 in the morning where I am um, yeah, so I uh, just uh, wanted to give a little shout to GT Sport for that. We talked about Dirt Rally. Uh, the last thing, and, and I apologize to you, uh, Kyle, for this, because um, Brendan and I are huge Sega nerds, as you, as you know, because we've written for you, and we pitch a lot of, <laughs> we pitch a lot of things like that. Um, but I was super excited to find out last week that uh, Virtual Racing, which was uh, Sega's first pretty much first uh, 3D polygonal racing game is coming to Switch as part of the Sega Ages collection. Uh, Brendan, you actually uh, messaged me about this because you obviously uh, wake up before I do, or I am <laughs> in my part of the world, and so you were like, dude, look at this, and I just, I think it made my day for the rest of the day, so, yeah. Yeah, it's great news, um, for, for more than one reason, but uh, just seeing that we're going to get a chance to play Virtual Racing on a modern machine is pretty good because I think it hasn't actually appeared on a console since the PlayStation 2. Is that correct? You are correct. So this yeah. is um, the fifth release of the game for home consoles, uh, which is interesting when you look back and realize that of the four that have come out, only two of them were made by Sega. So the first one was on the Genesis and came with a, a special chip that basically gave the regular gen like the cartridge had a chip in it called the uh, Sega Virtual Processor that gave the game a very very rudimentary 3D like the ability to do polygons with the basic Genesis hardware. It was impressive that they did this. I mean, that way it was kind of like Star Fox, but the game is really ugly. Like you can't play it. I have it on the Genesis and it's just like it 
it murders your eyes. And then they came out with the 32X version, which was actually very good, but it, you know, it was a 32X, so nobody had it. Um, and then they, there was one for the Saturn that was made by Time Warner Interactive that was pretty bad. And then there was uh, one called Virtual Racing Flyout in 2004 on the PS2, and that was on the Sega Classics collection, I want to say, that uh, came out in other parts of the world. So, yeah, it's it, the interesting thing is it's never gotten a really faithful port. Which is like, we don't really know anything about what they're playing for this, and the, the developer is M2, which is a company that, uh, if you enjoy retro gaming, or if you are especially a Sega fan, you know that they're like, <laughs> they do God's work when it comes to porting things. Like, I got, um, my my girlfriend has a 3DS, and, and I never got one, but... Um, while she had it, I basically I was like, I'm going to pay for a Super Hang-On to install it on your 3DS because I need to play this port. And it's an amazing port. Like, the level of detail that M2 goes into to bring these old Sega games back to life is just, it's admirable. I mean, like, they even, in the game, like, they, they put in tilt controls for Super Hang-On. You didn't have yeah. to use them. But even That's if cool. you didn't use them when you turned... The entire screen turned, and then the border of the screen, you know, because a 3DS's screen is kind of a, a widescreen, the border of the screen was actually, like, the arcade cabinet. Like, it, it's it's amazing to me the level of depth that they go into to port these games, so I'm really excited to see what they do with virtual racing. Yeah, my favorite M2 story is actually to do with their um, 3DS port of OutRun. Mm -hmm. um, basically, what happened was they, they got the gameplay bang on, as they always do, and then when they put the music in the game, there was it just didn't sound right to them. Like they, they were curious as to why they couldn't get the kind of tracks like Splash Wave and all that to sound perfect on the 3DS like sound chip. <laughs> so basically, what they did is they actually recreated every song piece <laughs> by piece exactly, and oh even God. added three of their own tracks because they'd mastered the outrun sound design that much. So there's three original tracks in that port, and you would think they'd been there the entire time. The phenomenal. Wow, I never, I never knew about that. I never heard them, so I need to go and find those. Oh yeah, definitely. I can send you some links. It's, um, it's even on Spotify. Funnily enough, that soundtrack. And um, yeah, even that version of Outrun as well. In terms of music, it's got like six select tracks from every other Outrun game as well, including Coast to Coast. So. It's got this huge library of outrun music to the original game. It's it's a sensational port, and it just it shows why M2 are the team to actually give us a, a great virtual racing, perhaps on the Switch. Oh yeah, and virtual racing. I remember when uh, like when the iPhone, the iPod Touch came out. Basically, people were like, "Here's what you could do with like uh, theoretically with um, games through you know these touchscreen mobile platforms and using gyroscopes and stuff like that i remember watching a you know probably a very blurry grainy youtube video by today's standards there's somebody basically you know after effects in like uh virtual racing into the screen of an ipod touch and was like turning it and i was like ah oh, this is the dream and then you know the first generation of like mobile racing games came out and i I didn't play any of them, so <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it's ending up on a on a console with actual buttons, and, and you know the Switch obviously is the perfect place for it. Uh, it'd be nice to see it appear on other consoles, but Sega Ages obviously is, um, you know, M2 does all the work, and uh, it definitely is, as you said, Brendan. It's a labor of love, and they're one team, so I don't blame them at all for that. Uh, I don't know, Kyle, did you do you have anything uh, to say about virtual racing? <laughs> 
Uh, honestly, like I, it's one of the games that I just missed out of all the Sega mm. classics. Like I, I played a lot of Daytona. I played a lot of, um, of Rally, uh, and I, I had a Genesis. I was a big Sega kid growing mm. up, but the, the racing didn't start until a generation later uh, in terms of hardware for me. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to try it, and I, you guys are have kept me looking at switch prices for months now <laughs> uh, <laughs> so and it, it seems like as, as an outsider it seems like uh the switch makes sense as the home for these classic sega games because nobody does video game nostalgia like nintendo uh probably because nobody can uh so yeah. so i would definitely want to pick this up if uh if and or better yet when i pick up a switch <laughs> yeah, to your point about uh, virtual racing, like having missed it. I mean, I it's funny whenever I talk about like being nostalgic for these things, and I talk about it at work too, and people are like, "How? Like, why do you like these games? Like, they were out before you were born." I mean, <laughs> virtual racing came out in '92, um, but I don't know. I mean, I grew up playing a lot of games on the Saturn and stuff like that. But the thing about virtual racing that's interesting uh, is that it. I think, for whatever reason, there was a defect in a lot of the arcade cabinets, especially North, the ones that made it to North America. So um, that's why that game pretty much fell out of arcades very quickly. Add to that the fact that the ports, you know, weren't very impressive. And then add to that the fact that, like, well, in, like, a year after Virtual Racing came out, you got Daytona and Ridge Racer. And it's like, those games, you know, they actually have textures. Yeah. Which at the time must have seemed like, I mean, you know, it, it definitely was a big step up. I'm not saying it wasn't, but, you know, at the time it was just like, well, now we can forget about virtual racing. Who cares about that? So, it, you know, I'm not going to disagree. Like, it is more of a historical piece. You know, it, I don't I don't think it has, I don't think anybody would argue it has the depth of gameplay of the games that would come after it. But uh, that said, I always found it really, like, a really pretty, you know, kind of uh, arcade racer simply because the... Uh, because it doesn't have textures and it just has like the flat shaped polygons, it's almost got a timeless look in a way. You know, it's I mean it's very early gaming, but the thing is that like the frame rate was 60 frames per second at a time when nobody was doing that. I mean, probably like hard driving or winning run was like 12 frames a second or something. I'm just assuming. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like this incredible sense of speed, the game's throwing all these polygons at you, and because it's not textured, it's very easy to upscale, it always looks good, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited, and, and hopefully uh, this doesn't mark the end of Sega Racing uh, making a comeback, because you'll, you'll have at least one fan over here, <laughs> quietly, <laughs> Well, that was what I was going to say as well. I think this is good news for the Sega Ages um, series in general because it opens the door past buying Sonic 1 for the 40th time. Um, th th <laughs> there are going to be other options by the looks of it. And Can you imagine an arcade-perfect port of Sega Rally 95? Because I don't even want to think about it because I'll just get too excited. <laughs> they would yeah. have to get all of those licenses again, you know? All two yeah. of them. <laughs> <laughs> But one of those licenses is Toyota, and we know. Consider that. Toyota. Oh no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Damn it! Just have a version with the Stratos and the Delta. Nobody cares about the Celica. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, uh, Kyle, you know, on GT Planet, uh, 
you guys wrote a story about why it's unlikely that Gran Turismo will appear on the PlayStation Classic, which, Jesus, that's another thing we could talk about, but there's really no time. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an issue when you have all these old racing games that people want to jump back into, but you can't do it because, because of licenses. And obviously the effect series like Gran Turismo and, you know, going forward, if we look into the future, Forza and stuff way more than just your average run-of-the-mill uh, racing game. Mm-hmm. So. And and it's like a, it's a very strange situation to have too because like this is now the age where I mean everyone except Toyota uh, realizes how important having your cars in video games is like it, it's it's the best form of advertising uh, so unfortunately now that there's all these hoops to jump through like even Gran Turismo One you you're talking dozens of licenses like there's there's 12 manufacturers but then there's all the other things associated with that like Castrol or geez I, I don't even know um, and you know it's such a rabid fan base too that you don't want to half ass it you don't want to drop some sponsors to throw in some other ones um, and and how do you justify that cost for a game that's now 21 years old <laughs> Yeah, and you know, obviously, the racing franchise as we know is something that's very much, or franchise genre as we know, is very much uh, dependent on kind of being at the cutting edge of realism, right? So, especially, how are you going to get all these manufacturers? Like, not only maybe will gamers not be that interested in playing what constitute a sim racer in 1998, but why would the manufacturers even be like, yeah, we're okay with you putting like a semi, you know, shoddy, janky-looking representation of our car from 25 years ago into a video yeah. game. Yeah, we, we don't mind that. Like, I, I don't see that happening. The, the interesting part about that is, I uh, just remembered, the 3DS port of OutRun that M2 did doesn't feature Ferrari. Yeah. They created a, a fake car that actually looks pretty different to the ones used in the original. I, 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 from the top of my head, I thought it was basically the exact same with the badge nuked, but... No, there's actually there's some slight changes to that model, so who knows if they would ever dare to do some hijinks to create a Sega Rally 95 port with no licensed cars. Well, the point about Sega Rally reminds me that uh, I was listening to uh, Retronauts, this, this, this amazing uh, retro gaming podcast, and they had Tetsuya Mizuguchi on, who was... I mean, people mostly know him for uh, Res and uh, Space Channel 5 and uh, Child of Eden, and now he's doing Tetris Effect. But before that, he did racing games for the first part of his career. He produced Sega Rally, he produced uh, Sega Touring Car Championship and, and those games. And the thing he said about Sega Rally was that, you know, at the time, I think he said it was the first game with... Uh, licensed cars in it, which I, 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 I not terrible, I'm not sure is correct. Maybe it was referring to arcade games, but the one point that he made was that they partnered with the WRC. And I think in that sense, it might have been the first game to do that. And going through that process, basically, uh, it was like, okay, we've got the WRC's blessing. Uh, now we have to talk to Toyota and Lancia. And I can't remember which company he went to first, but basically, you know, it's, it's the early 90s. There's not really a precedent for these things. And I think he went to Toyota and said, like, hey, would you like to, you know, would you allow us to put your car in the game because the Celica is a big deal? And, you know, rather than put a supercar in the game, we want to put a car that people can drive. You know, we think it'd yeah. be good for you from a marketing standpoint. And I think, uh, I think because he went to Toyota first, I think they said, if Lancia agrees to do it, we'll agree to do it. And that's kind of <laughs> how this came about. So in a weird way, you know, Toyota was actually one of the first manufacturers to get behind 
the idea of putting their cars in video games, which makes it so strange today that they're not. <laughs> and they've got a lot to gain from it. As well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes it all the more heartbreaking to see Toyota just disappearing from every other franchise. It doesn't make sense. They've benefited so much through exposure in the, through the years. Like, cars are like Supra. Like, you could pretty much... You could say Gran Turismo is one of the reasons that car's so popular. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't oh, be definitely. incorrect. And even this, this elite that we're talking about, that's the most obvious um, rally. Well, one of the most obvious rally cars in people's minds who've played video games because of Sega Rally. So, it's it's a bit sad, really. Maybe, maybe uh, Toyota will hear this, you know, what we're saying and uh, <laughs> and are, are pleased for them to come back and, you know, maybe maybe they'll uh, do us a favor. Be nice. Should uh, you, you should you should think about that Toyota. Have a have a long hard look at what you've done. <laughs> alright, alright. Um so yeah, we're gonna take a quick break and then we will return to talk all about Forza Horizon four. And welcome back to Time Extend, and now it's time for the primary discussion that we're going to have this week, which of course is all about Forza Horizon 4. Um, you know, uh, Kyle, you review the game for GT Planet, I review it for Tom's Guide, so as soon as you're done listening to this, go to our respective sites and read those reviews, because they are the best two reviews that you will find of that game, and I can say that <laughs> having read maybe like one or two others. Uh, no, I don't know. I- I'm sure those reviews are fine too. But anyway, uh, yeah, so we've been playing the game extensively, and I, I don't have a ton of, uh, personally speaking, I don't have a ton of background for Forza Horizon. I played the first one, uh, but, you know, as it turns out, because of how big the series became, the first one kind of got, I mean, it was, it was great, but it kind of got swept under the rug very quickly, because 2 was so much bigger and had so much more to do. Uh, so playing Forza Horizon 4, I feel like, was like the, the first true Horizon experience I've had uh, in the franchise, and um, I enjoy that a lot. So that's basically where I'm coming at it from. But uh, I don't know, Kyle, uh, what, were, what were your initial impressions? Uh, so, so I didn't actually get to play it until the beginning of this month, hmm. uh, September. Uh, and I mean, I've, I've played all the previous Horizons. Uh, I've never really been... I, I like them, don't don't get me wrong, but I've always been more of a motorsport person in the Forza world, and 4 has just sucked me in completely. Like, <laughs> like doing the, getting the review copy, it was a matter of like, okay, well I still want to play this, and I went on that trip, I went on the trip for the Horizon launch in Goodwood, yep. which I will talk about in a little bit, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... I was actually considering, like, how do I bring my Xbox so that I can play more of the game while I'm there? Yeah. <laughs> Which is something that hasn't come up for me in in racing games in general in a long time, where I just, I, I don't want to stop playing. 
it's it's a really big jump. Uh, I was concerned that Seasons was going to be sort of the only major change with the game, but Playground's done a lot of tiny little detail work on so many different aspects of the game that it's it's a much stronger package overall now than uh, than any of them have come before, and it's uh, yeah it's. It's one of those franchises that's just moved from strength to strength. Uh, we were talking about how we hope it doesn't hit that, like, I can't think of a franchise, a racing one, that's had a fifth title that's done really well, though. It's been, like, a build-up through to the fourth, yep. and then the fifth is always where they stumble. So I, I really love this game, so I, I worry a little bit about whatever comes next, but that's way off in the future, not really the purpose of this talk, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it, it's interesting because I feel like from an outsider perspective, it's like the Forza Horizon games are very good, but they're, I don't know, they're maybe a little, they de they derive a lot from each other, you could maybe say. I mean, at least on the surface, like, y you pretty much know what you're getting with Forza Horizon, you know it's going to be good, and there's maybe a little bit of sameness of, of a little bit of fatigue that comes with that, but at the same time, I think, like, once you actually sink your teeth into these games, and 4 especially, you know, is, I mean, that's the one that I can talk about the most, you realize, like you were saying, like, all the little changes underneath the surface that build up to something great. Like, I mean, it's stuff that you can obviously see, like, seasons. But, like, I didn't realize that, you know, along with the visual changes of the seasons themselves, and, you know, the obviously the obvious gameplay changes, like, well, there, now there's snow on the road, you know, I, I didn't know that, that Playground was, was capturing, you know, uh, road surface temperatures and stuff like that. Like, that that's not something I would ever expect from an arcade racer, and Horizon 4 is doing it, and, you know, it, it just it adds the experience, and, and just all the little tweaks and stuff that have happened here and there, and, and personally, I can say I've been playing the game because I don't have an Xbox One, uh, I've been playing the game on a ROG Zephyrus laptop that I borrowed from work, and it looks incredible. Like, I'm not a PC gamer. I, I've been considering, you know, bu uh, building a PC mostly because of Forza Horizon 4, and I'm playing on this laptop with a, uh, I mean, it's pretty much, it's a fully spec machine. It's, like, got a, a 10, an NVIDIA 1080 in it, and, yeah, just, like, ultra settings, 60 frames per second. I could I could go probably up to 100 if I wanted to, but uh, I mean 60 is fine for me because I'm used to playing on consoles. And it's just it's gorgeous. Like I've just I, I I feel like I expect you know Drive Club is one of my favorite games as, of this uh, generation. Still, I I really enjoy Drive Club, and I I felt like uh, it never really got the recognition it deserved because it came out and and kind of stumbled out of the gate, and then you know eventually Evolution turned into something great, but. The level of detail in Forza Horizon 4, as an open-world title, like, rivals the level of detail that I felt was in Drive Club. And that, to me, to build an open-world game that still has that sense of quality and just immersiveness to it, is, is something that I've never seen before. Like, it, it's absolutely staggering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, I know both of you are, are big fans of Drive Club. And uh, I got into it a little late, but I guess that's sort of for the best, uh, seeing it in its final form. It, it's it's such a pretty game, and yeah, Horizon Horizon 4 is definitely comparable, and I, I think that's that, that's a great thing. Um, I didn't expect it to look as good as it does when you're playing. Like, we, we've seen the videos, and yeah, I, I, I was blown away. I'm, I'm still impressed at how 
good it looks. And on consoles, you have the option of uh, like 4K 30 or 1080p 60. So I've just been playing on 1080p 60 uh, because of the smoothness. Like having 60 frames per second in an open world, like arcade kind of game, is just it's so much fun. Yeah, and it never it never really stumbles, you know. At least, you know, obviously I've been playing on PC, so maybe the console experience is different. But I'm inclined to say no because I don't think I've ever witnessed a single frame drop in a Forza branded game ever in my life. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a thoroughly solid experience. It is funny when you go back to 30. Like I I have long felt like. You know, people obsess about 60 frames per second too much. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I feel like in a sim racer, it's absolutely 100% necessary. But I don't think that Drive Club was a significantly worse game by being in 30. And I don't think that the earlier Horizon games were. I think it's fine if you want to, you know, be more concerned with graphical fidelity necessarily than frame rate. Mm -hmm. But once you've played a game like Forza Horizon 4 in 60 frames per second, to go back to 30, it feels like you're putting drunk goggles on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I totally know what you, what you mean about the smoothness. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it's so much to wrap my head around when I started playing this game. Like, just, you know, Forza obviously has always been the, the series, both Horizon and Motorsport, that kind of let you express, uh, yourself in terms of, you know, car culture however you want. Uh, and yet there are so many more ways to do it in Horizon 4 than ever before. Um, there are certain things that I, I feel like maybe could have, maybe not so much the, the different uh, challenges or types of showcase events or the, you know, quote-unquote jobs that you could have, um, the stories, but uh, I, I think one thing in particular sticks out to me that maybe I wasn't too, I didn't understand too much is the way houses work. Because I actually, like, when I, when I first heard that they were going to put houses in the game, I was excited because immediately my mind went to and I think where a lot of people's minds went to which was Test Drive Unlimited um, now granted when you owned a house in Test Drive Unlimited it really didn't mean anything like you, you'd basically see your character which in that game your character always looked like some weird half human and they would be sitting they'd be sitting on a couch watching TV and, and having a very boring life and it really didn't mean anything but I don't know I mean you got to be inside the house uh, and, and then, like, some other games, like, I remember PGR, like, you had your own garage um, and whatnot, and you could walk around your garage. Horizon 4, it seems like the houses are more vehicle, or more, like, no pun intended, they're vehicles for other perks. Like, you know, you'll buy a house and you'll get a wheel spin, or you'll buy a house and you'll get a car, or, you know. I, I That seemed, I don't know, it, it seemed kind of strange to me, but at the same time, there's so much to do in this game that, like, any slight deficiency, like, you can spend your time in so many different ways. That's why I love so much about it. And, and uh, it really feels like the racing game equivalent of Grand Theft Auto in a way that, like, the genre has never had before. Yeah, I've, I've made the Grand Theft Auto comparison a lot of times uh, in the past two weeks. Yeah. And, and I agree, like, uh, the, the houses are a nice touch. Um, there, there's obviously a lot more they could do with them. And I think the thing that hurts the houses the most, um, I don't know where you are in the game, but uh, there's there's one house where you can unlock the perk to uh, fast travel anywhere on the map, as opposed yep. to just the uh, the festival or any houses. And and once you unlock that, uh, I did it because I want to get to the Forza Thon live events as quickly as possible when That's they start. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when... 
I unlocked that, I realized like, well, now it doesn't really matter if I own all the houses or not outside of those expensive castles because then you get rare cars. Yep. Um, it would be nice to be able to, even if you didn't go inside the house, if you could uh, like set up a garage and you know, like sort of place your favorite cars there for a shot. Um, things like that it would be nice because right now they sort of just occupy this weird space in the game as a backdrop for Forza Vista photos of your one car parked in front. And it's there, there's room for expansion, but as a as a stepping stone, I feel like that's sort of what Forza, especially the Horizon series, does. Is they introduce a feature, and then uh, you know it's. it's this will be the first iteration, and then whenever we have the sequel, there will be more to do with the homes, and it's, it's very uh, iterative. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to, obviously, we always ask this question every single Horizon game. It's like, where, what do they do next? And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, they have, to, they have to give themselves something to do next. So, you know, I'm fully excited. Uh, just you know, even the things like like the houses that the game introduces, uh, there'll surely be more uh, uh, more ground made with that in the future. But um, I think uh, I, I just wanted to talk uh, a little bit briefly about like, and I'm, I want I want to involve you in this discussion, Brendan. But you haven't played the game, so I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm answer, just enjoying it. kind of tied here. Um, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about uh, you guys. Have had the chance to go extensively hands on as. As far as I'm concerned, I've played the demo. I like the demo, but until I get to play the full thing early next week, then you guys are more than suited to lead this conversation. Well, I mean, you could definitely shed more light on on the the next topic because you actually live in the United Kingdom. Uh, I, I find it interesting, just like the the different areas that they chose. Like, um, I was reading your review, Kyle, and you call it like a greatest hits version. Uh, you know, and and I. Totally agree with that. You know, I mean, look, I, I don't live there, so I don't know what the greatest hits of the UK were. If you were to nominate, you know, a couple couple choice tracks, singles, I have no idea what they would be. But um, it seems like it runs the gamut, uh, you know, going all the way up to, uh, you start out pretty much in the game, right? Your house is in, like, the Cotswolds, and you can drive all the way up to Edinburgh, obviously. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, there's there's diversity in this map. Uh, definitely, and there's something to explore, which is something that, like, I've never experienced, or, not that I've never experienced it, but, like, it reminds me, playing it a lot, uh, it reminds me of Breath of the Wild, you know, it reminds me of Zelda, it just, you want to go to all these different places, you, you want to see what there is to be seen, which is a very unique feeling for, for a racing game, I'm not used to that. Well, uh, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna leave that to, to Brendan because as the person who hasn't played Breath of the Wild, I, I don't have much oh, to say sweet. about that. Although I, I do very much agree that it's a rarity in a racing game to be like, oh, I want to go see these things and explore. But outside of that, I'm, uh, I'm gonna leave it to you, Nintendo guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's also. A Bit of an awkward one for me where I've played Breath of the Wild extensively, but I've only been I'll able play to play the Horizon Four demo. But um, I, I suppose, in the sense that when you played Horizon Three, for example, which is a game I put about 190 hours into or something, um, I, I really enjoyed that game. But I felt as if the map kind of played it safe almost. There were some nice venues, but it was all all very flat enough. And the most interesting areas were like the jungle type parts where you could actually be in amongst the trees. 
But even from the demo from Horizon 4, you just get the vibe that they they chose the UK against a lot of people's wishes who were looking for Japan because they felt as if they could give a bit more, just a bit more character to the environment and choosing Edinburgh, for example, as the kind of city location is such a great choice because as someone who was working there for the past two months, it's just such a majestic place on those main streets and they've replicated it really well, judging on YouTube videos, since I'm not lucky enough to play. But like, there's a, there's a lot of elements, like there's there's a specific part they've modelled where my hotel was. And it's so weird seeing that like in a game, because I guess if you're from New York or somewhere like that, you see that type of thing all the time, but the UK in general is pretty underrepresented when it comes to games, especially when it's coming to recreating actual places. Like Drive Club, for example, had a lot of good fictional uh, tracks based in Scotland, mm-hmm. but like they were only loosely based on real life places. Whereas I'm looking at this footage and saying I was literally staying in that place like last month. <laughs> That's so interesting because I didn't because obviously um, you know the the. Edinburgh that they have in the game, I, I imagine that the city is not that small. So um, no, no, there's, no. there's a lot more to it than that. So it's interesting they were able to both downsize it and still get it to be that faithful. Um, it reminds me, I've, I've been playing a lot of uh, Project Gotham Racing lately because I maybe want to write about that um, for GT Planet. Uh, and, um, uh, and, you know, like, I work in New York City, and uh, New York City is one of the seasons, the original Project Gotham Racing, and I drive past my office, you know, in that, where my office is now, you know, 20 years later in that game, and it's still, like, even though, graphically speaking, it's not, you know, a very beautiful, I mean, it, it's a good-looking game, but even though, you know, obviously, uh, technology has passed it by, it's still a really weird but, but awesome feeling to drive right past some place or be somewhere that you've been, you know, and to know that they were there and they tried to, to capture the intricacies of this environment. And it's something that um, I, I, can't, I don't think has, has probably ever happened with Scotland in a video game, Brendan, I would assume. Uh, well, I guess the, the closest you could say was um, Milk Hill appearing in Project Cars 2, and as I, I wrote in an article for GT Planet, like, um, basically... I was able to drive an open wheeler there at the same time I was playing it in the game. And it was one of these things where you can you can get it so accurate when it comes to these tracks, especially when it's something like Knock Hill, where I imagine they put as much effort as they could have for such a small venue. And then, like, the, the real-life comparisons to the, the game, it's crazy to see it, even in a kind of a circuit format. So when you see it in a city as well, where it's actual replicated buildings that you might have been in, as you were talking about there, Adam, it's pretty crazy, it really is, and um, yeah, Scotland, when it comes to having us in uh, racing games, it's usually a fictional location that seems to include Edinburgh Castle in the middle of the Highlands, <laughs> stuff like that, so... Um, that's playground... not where it is? But like, Playground Games version is, is pretty amazing for the size of it, they, they've replicated basically the Phil of Princess Street, which is where the Project Gotham Racing track is, I think, when it's the Edinburgh mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because yeah. Edinburgh was in uh, yeah. yeah I, I thought that's where you were going to go when you brought it up finally. No, enough. I completely forgot that. Wow. Okay. Well, I just played myself. But yeah. So um, <laughs> I don't know how it compares exactly. But yeah, I completely forgot that that was in two. So. But like that's like a huge street. Like it's it's basically a straight line that takes about twenty five minutes to walk. It's just absolutely huge. 
Um, and like playground, they've managed to downsize it enough that it's fun to drive on. But they've also like included there's there's like an area just behind Princess Street called St Andrews Square, which is like this huge park, kind of like Central Park, but nowhere near as big. But the same kind of layout essentially, and um, they, they've got that in there and. The streets that they've put in around that area are like the way it would look in real life, but they've downsized it in such a way that it still maintains that kind of swiftness. So when you're racing on, it doesn't feel like an actual street. It's hard to explain, but they they they've pretty much made a great replica of the area, and they've even got the area behind the castle, which is it's so strange because in the game you would imagine they just made that up, where behind the castle it's just kind of rolling hills. But that is the way it is in Edinburgh, it's very odd, like you've got this whole city, metro kind of area, and then right behind it you've got these huge rolling hills, and they're in Forza as well. Yeah, I mean, at least it's not, uh, and, and, you know, I kind of, I feel bad making this comparison because I be up on this game a lot, but I did in my review, because honestly it is, it, the way Playground has done it, it's like, to create this open world, as I was playing the game, all I could think of was that this is the exact opposite of the crew, <laughs> because I um I, I played the crew too, and yeah, it, it's, the cities in the crew too are basically the same exact city, except there will be one feature that is different in all of them. In New York, they have like half of Times Square, which is very interesting because half of Times Square is like. I don't know. It just it just leads to a very uncanny valley feeling. Like you, you just look around, you're like, this isn't quite right. And obviously, they use like the procedural generation kind of to, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen that article where uh, it was uh, Andy Kelly from uh, I can't remember what site it is, but he drives around, and he sees all the all the storefronts and how they yeah. just have basically like randomly generated words on them, like chicken grilled pizza, um, <laughs> coffee coffee grilled suits, like just weird. <laughs> weird word salad um and then you have just the, the the highways but i mean more than all that you have the highways that go in between cities where nothing really happens and you know i understand when you're making you're trying to make a map of the united states you're going to have a lot of unused area um but horizon 4's world um doesn't you know have i, I mean yeah there, there's a lot of sections that maybe you're like Okay, like, a lot of, like, rolling hills and plains and things that, like, you know, vague but picturesque scenes of the UK, but at the same time, I, maybe I don't get the sense that it's wasted as much because there's always something to look for. There's there's a barn find, or there's, um, there are boards to smash, uh, some of which are actually really hard to get to because there's been one on top of a, uh, on top of a house I've been trying to get to for weeks or for days, I don't know how, um... So, yeah, it, it just, I, I think the secrets, I think just, like, finding all these little secrets, which are, are, don't just, you know, deal with the map. I mean, I was blown away when, even though I knew it was coming, I was blown away when I played the Halo mission. Oh, my <laughs> God. That was awesome. Yeah. I, I've never even played Halo, and I really enjoyed that. I mean, when I say never, I've dabbled, but I've never played a whole game through, but that was, that was genuine fun. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not even, like, someone who loves Halo. Like, I played, I think, like, everyone had an Xbox back in the day. I played the first three installments and then kind of lost it somewhere in, in the middle of, like, ODST and Reach. But, um, yeah, I, what, I, what I especially love about it is the way they kind of contextualize it. Because all of a sudden, you know, you, you start the event and then you just hear Cortana talking. Like, you know, UNSC simulation, blah, 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 gobbledygook. And then somebody else comes over the radio 
who's like flying a pelican and it's like it becomes clear that you're doing this uh, kind of mission sim. At the same time, your character now is no longer whoever it is, it's now the Master Chief. So like, instead of seeing your character walk around like that endless white void where you get to look at all the screens and tell you how much you've progressed, now it's the Master Chief on that screen. <laughs> like, standing in front of a warthog and it's, it's, it's just, it happens so quickly that you're like, oh my god. And then when it, when it ends, the best part is when it ends, I don't remember what station I was listening to, but um, I think they, they purposefully put you on a certain radio station after this mission is over. Because during the, the mission, you hear um, basically a medley of Halo songs, like orchestral music. And then once you exit it, it's like, all right, uh, have we all taken off our HoloLens? That was a great VR experience, wasn't it? And I, I just, I died. I thought that was so great. Yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was really cute. I thought it was a great send up for Halo, and you know, it's a fun mission as well. And they, they, uh, you know, throw banshees at you and pelicans and like little uh, outposts for the Covenant, and it's, it's just so faithful. And I can't wait because I know there's more of that stuff in the game uh, that I haven't experienced yet. And it just, it, it gives you a reason to keep playing on you know you a, a lot of the game might feel like a grind at times but you know as, as any big open world game does but when you have those moments to look forward to it really helps you keep pushing keep uh, pushing on oh yeah absolutely and uh and you were talking about the like the map being like a shrunken down version but but still like there's there's stuff that keeps you entertained throughout it um I think that's actually, like, that's a lot harder than I think a lot of people are willing to give developers credit for, like, um, especially in the racing genre, because we're, we're so focused on realism, and realism, I mean, it's, it's technically impressive seeing any developer recreate something immaculately. Like, I, I very much appreciate all the work that goes into that, but this is sort of a whole other move where you have to take a real-life place and change it enough that it's still recognizable but also still fun and that involves you know like a, a unique creative vision and finding that balance is is very difficult right this isn't uncharted where you can pretty much make up anything or or those sorts of games where they only limit it like horizon zero dawn where there there's no limit on what you have to build you don't have to replicate anything so I think that is is a technical or yeah like a, a technical achievement to watch and, and see this and like we were driving up to Goodwood and the roads that we were on felt like the same sort of roads that were in the game they're not exact but you know like I, I see a hill a rolling hill I saw a windmill off in the distance that sort of looked like the one you have to jump through <laughs> mm, yep it's it's weird it, it doesn't evoke that uncanny valley feeling that you get from a game that something feels off. Yep. Well, I mean, personally speaking, Kyle, if they laser scan all of these roads, they're, they're not worth anything as far as I'm concerned. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, uh, you know, as someone who's, uh, who's kind of been to uh, England for a little bit, a couple times, um, I, I definitely get the same feeling. And I think it says a lot that we haven't touched on, like, the physics of this game at all. That's not to say that, like, the handling, you know, the gameplay isn't great from yeah. a technically, you know, driving, purist driving standpoint, but it's it's that you get all of those things that you would expect from a great, you know, racing game in general, a great arcade racer, whatever, if 
if you are very concerned with the, the discrepancy between arcade and sim, you get all of that, but then you also get all this amazing stuff on top of it, and it just, like, all the content lifts each other up, if that makes sense, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the... It's greater than the sum of its parts. Um, it was really fun to... <laughs> we're talking about that arcade sim spectrum. And that was a really fun question to ask Ralph. Um, we had the GT Planet interview. Uh, we have another one coming up, actually. Because <laughs> I talked to him again at Goodwood. Uh, but asking him about the spectrum and, and getting that response from him and Ben where they were just like, you know, honestly, we don't even really think about that spectrum at all. We just want to make it fun, and if it's not fun, that's what concerns us. I think that was an eye-opening and, and like welcome experience. I know it's going to piss off some, you know, sim racing elitists, but like, isn't that isn't that why we all started playing these? Like, yeah, the first the first Gran Turismo, like, yeah, it was very realistic for me compared to what was around at the time, and. Adam, you've, you've said before, like, it would make a great arcade racer now, and, and I agree. And that's cool, it was realistic, but hey, I just wanted to slap a big turbo on the Demio and put it up on its two <laughs> wheels. <laughs> very, very easy to do in that game. <laughs> um. so, so I think, like, this, these sorts of games, this is sort of taking that spirit and applying it to a broad spectrum of people. Like, you know, I've, I've played... Horizon 3, the Hot Wheels expansion, in front of my girlfriend, and she'll be like, oh, I kind of want to try this. Like, she has zero interest in racing games. When she sees the Hot Wheels tracks come out, she's like, oh, that, that looks fun. And I feel like Horizon 4 with the Bond stuff and mm -hmm. the Formula Drift, like like you said a lot earlier on this show, uh, it's just there's so many different ways to express yourself as an automotive enthusiast in the game. It's the only racing game that I know everybody that I know wants to play. Like, even if they're not into cars, even if they or they are into cars, but they don't play racing games, like, it just has something for everybody, which I know is a very overplayed concept in gaming. But the thing is that what, what makes Horizon different is it doesn't feel... Like, as someone who's been playing racing games my whole life and, you know written about them probably more than I should and just <laughs> given given so much attention to, to this one very like niche portion of the world um, you know even though Horizon Horizon 4 has something for my friends who aren't as involved in racing as much I don't feel like it comes at my expense I don't feel like you know the people who have been following Forza Motorsport games, who've been playing racing games forever, who are really invested in this stuff, I don't think you lose anything in Horizon Four, and yet it still appeals to everybody. Like it's, I just have never had an experience like that. Usually, you know, it's like, oh well, this game's more of a simulation, so it's target the hardcore, and the hardcore know what they want, and they like, and but I don't, you know, and but the thing is that's ironic about Horizon 4 is it, it has all of that, you know, like, I, we were talking before about, you know, the, the length that they go, that they go to the model, the, the road surfaces, and, and obviously, like, the physics are kind of built off of, um, what, what's in Forza Motorsport, obviously, I think, uh, where I read somewhere in GT Planet, uh, Kyle, that, like, uh, Dan Greywalt had said that, like, the main difference is, is, uh, uh, it's like grip from the tires or something, or maybe grip from the road surface that, that mm -hmm. differentiates Horizon and Motorsport. You know, it's the same essentially, I guess the bones of it, you know, it's the same physics model, but they give you a little bit more in Horizon to 
to be more planted and sure of yourself. And hey, I mean, if you're a more skillful driver and you want to turn all the aids off and stuff, it, it probably won't be as demanding as Forza Motorsport, but it will still be an invigorating, you know, believable experience, even if it isn't necessarily the most realistic thing in the world. And I think just getting people involved, you know, kind of being able to create that suspension of disbelief where it's like, hey, okay, I know that this isn't, you know, if I was actually driving a Zonda, you know, bounding off the hills of, of the UK, then then I would definitely, you know, not be able to control it this well. But but you still feel like you're on that edge, you know, you still feel like it's involving every part of you. And overall, you know, the experience is still fun and enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's it's definitely not just a point and shoot and, and like, oh, there's my destination. I'll just hold down the gas and I'll make it like there. There is still skill involved. It might not be as much skill to, uh, you know, to hit those best times as motorsport or other sim games. But yeah, it's it's. Like so many things in the game, it's like a nice balance where it doesn't feel like it's penalizing you, uh, while also making it more approachable for other uh, other people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Horizon 4 is really good. Everyone should yeah. go play it, but I feel like if you're listening to the show, you're probably going to do that anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like a fairly good chance. Sorry, yep. Brendan. No, no, I was just going to say, I've actually got one point that I would like to bring up. and Sure. This might drag a long discussion or not, but <laughs> so the Metacritic score for Forza Horizon 4 is 92 out of 100 across 59 critics. Do you think any other racing game can actually beat that, given the way people view racing games nowadays? Because even games that we consider fantastic usually sit around the 80 mark, because let's be honest, there's a, there's a bit of a bias when it comes to reviewing racing games in the general media. It seems almost unheard of now to see a 10 out of 10. So Forza Horizon 4's score is insanely high given that the interest in the genre seems a bit half and half nowadays. Do you think that another racing game has a chance to beat this or do you think this will be the leader to come? Hmm. Ooh. Adam, do you, do you want to go first? Or, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't know. I think I think the reason that Horizon is so universally loved. I, I mean, I think it's all the reason, all the things that we were talking about before. Just like uh, the breadth of its of its content and the fact that it doesn't come at really anyone's expense. And and the thing is that you know you, I don't think you're wrong uh, in saying that you know there's kind of a bias against racing games in the general media. But I think that's also because racing games by definition, are kind of like, I don't know, they've become a very niche thing. Yeah. They, they weren't always that way, but, I don't know, motorsport in general, I feel like in the last 20 years, has kind of become more of a niche thing. Uh, so you have general reviewers playing this game, and there's something in there for them, but it's still, like, a very well-designed... I think that's one of the things that separates Forza Horizon from a lot of racing games now, is, like, in this genre, not just arcade racers, but racers in general, we've, we're so used to... You know, once upon a time, you had to unlock all the cars, you had to unlock all the tracks, you had to go through that stuff, and now everything's kind of given to you from the beginning. Like, Project Cars is like that. Forza, you can do, or most motorsport, you can do a career, but you don't have to. Gran Turismo Sport, well, you you do have to earn some money in that game. But in a lot of cases, like, it's pretty much instant gratification, which, as someone who has been on GT Plans forums a lot, I have seen that people do kind of want that, so that they can just get to the car and track that they want. Yeah. But... At the same time, I think that this 
focus, this this gamification of things that Horizon does so well is one of the things that makes it so appealing to so many people. It makes it feel like an overall experience that's greater than just let me drive this car around this track and and you know have a have a little thrill ride. It's it, it becomes a fully realized world, and I think that's something that no other racing game, arcade racer or otherwise, can really compare to right now. The games that have tried to do it, for all the reasons we've discussed, they don't do it as well. Everything that we've said about how Playground has gotten it right with Horizon, we could probably pick out the way that Need for Speed Payback didn't you know, do it so well, or the crew, or something like that. So, you know, I, I think it really just is a testament to the overall quality of this experience and the fact that it really is designed so that everyone can have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent way to, to put it, Adam. Um, so can anything beat that Metacritic? I, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, not this generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, we, we gave it our highest rating out of any review we've done so far. Um, and the funny thing is, is it's still lower than what the Metacritic rating is. <laughs> like, like most of our GT Planet reviews, we, we review games hard. I, what can I say? Um, but it's still our, our highest because, yeah, it, it does so many things well. Um, and I know this is, this is sort of a weird, lofty thing to say, but I think what appeals is... You guys mentioned Breath of the Wild and this joy of discovery. Um, and it's definitely present in Horizon, and I think not only is that a great thing that a lot of people want, it sort of speaks to, like, what the base appeal is of cars in general, right? Like, we've... the, the car has been this symbol of freedom and, and exploration for a hundred years, and that, that works so well with a car game, and Horizon just sort of embraces that. It's like, oh, here, like, there's, there's a festival, there's a nominal sort of story, but really, like, when, when you're playing the game, whenever I was live-streaming, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. And on the, on the route to, to get to do Project A, let's say, I'd, I'd end up doing five different things on the way there because there was just so much to keep you entertained and curious. It's so hard to stay on task in this game. Like, harder than anything. Like, and... and... It's, it's actually, it's it's a little intimidating almost. It's like, what do I do? Like, I want to go look at that farm fine, but then I also want to make this change to my car, but then I also want to do this race, and then on the way to the race, you know something else, you end up going off a different direction. I think I think that's how they, like, they really, like, have cultivated this community. It's just, let's put so many things in there that they don't even know how to spend their time, and then they just end up making all these, you know, random uh, relationships and, you know, kind of having this sort of like dance with our drivers where you know you find people on your server and then you go off and uh, challenge each other and yeah it just it's the kind of uh, I, I know it's so overused and the pun is so obvious but it is the kind of auto playground that like I always I always wanted and dreamed of like when I was younger playing racing games wondering why they couldn't be bigger um, so yeah I and and I don't even want to tackle you know what happens next for for Horizon because I think I think they've shown that they'll figure they'll figure something out whatever it is they'll figure it out I do think I would like them to go to Japan next yeah I was gonna say that that's yeah. kind of where I sit as well 
Well, I think Toyota needs to get its act together first. Because <laughs> yeah. going, going to Japan without Toyota would just seem wrong. Mm. That's true. Yeah, especially because I think they own an entire city in Japan, right? They, uh... Like, not they own, do, but no. it's, like, named after them or something. Yeah, Toyota Mega City. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's one. That's one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we so okay so we know what city won't be appearing in Forza Horizon Five then we can we can put that down. <laughs> no, like it'll, be, like it. <laughs> it'll be it'll be Moyota Tega City. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Um. Yeah, I I think that just about covers it for uh, Forza Horizon. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean, so. Yeah. This is this was a, a ton of fun, and uh, I'm really glad you could join us, Kyle. And uh, I hope we get the opportunity again in the future. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think people, what few listeners Time Extend have, uh, they they know what they get themselves into, and they listen to me and Brendan every week. But I think it's definitely good to get someone who won't just uh, talk about their Dreamcast racing game in there every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> wrong appeal. Well, I mean, I think we're all just fans of racing games in general, so anytime I can sit down and talk with someone for an hour and a half or however long about it, I, I could do twice this time, but, um, <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure like not only would listeners be happy, but you know, my, my girlfriend's probably happy that I'm not talking to her about it for that amount of time. <laughs> I, just, I, I just can't believe we made it through a full show without making a Vidali joke. I think that's the first time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, it's become kind of like Ardacia Sandero of just like how we make fun of it every single episode. I, I don't know, I feel bad. I don't want to make fun of something every episode, but I was really looking forward to that switch port, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, it's, it's gone the same way as that first Project Cars, uh, the right, Wii. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, at this rate, we may have lost V-Rally on Switch, but we're definitely getting virtual racing, and I think... I think that's that's where my mind was going to go anyway, so... Yeah. What we didn't know was that the one game that would have bet Horizon 4's um, Metacritic score would have been the V-Rally Switch port. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> we we can't say, you know, probably would have been that, or um, last show we had, Brendan, you brought up some, like, basically Fast and Furious ripoff that was on the Switch, apparently. Oh, Super, like, Street. Yeah. Super Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't be reviewing that one. Sorry. <laughs> well. Oh darn. Anyway. Um, yeah. So thanks so much, Kyle. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, yeah, we'll see you again soon.